Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Turn Evangelism Podcast with T.S. Myers. Our prayer is that this message impacts your life. If it does, let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and let us know how God used this message to influence you. If you would like to follow our ministry, we would love for you to go to turnevangelism.com and check us out. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you for pouring out your Spirit on us. Lord, I pray that if there's any sin in our lives right now, that you would wash it clean by the blood of Jesus and forgive our sins. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. If there's anyone who's in sin, who has a stronghold, I pray that this message would convict them, Lord, to repent and to turn to you, Jesus Christ, so that they would be forgiven and they would walk in freshness and newness, Lord. Lord, help them not to be swayed, Lord, by this world, but Lord, I pray that you would relieve them of the burdens of this life, knowing that you are so much better than anything this world has to offer. As we focus on you and your sufficiency and and the fact that you're enough, help us to find our fullness in you and not to seek it anywhere else. Lord, we love you. As we open up your word in Colossians, I pray that you would speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I was uh, in high school, I went to a school in Miami. And I didn't say this earlier, but I am from Miami, Florida. Okay, And in Miami, Florida, it's a very urban setting. We would, we would vacation to the mountains of South or North Carolina. Okay, So living up here and being like an hour from some mountains and three hours from the good mountains, it's been, it's been kind of cool to be up here as well. I, I, I get to live close to a vacation, right? But there, we, what we would do is we would travel a long ways. And when I was in 11th and 12th grade, my school, my Christian school in Miami, Florida Christian School, would send their students up to a place called the Wilds. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a Christian camp. And while we were at that camp, there's something a preacher said that, that happened while he was there. And there's something that he said that stuck with me over the years. And he said this, and it's so interesting how you can hear a sermon. You might not remember the, the main push of the whole entire sermon, but you remember something someone says in a sermon and it sticks with you. And this is what the preacher said. He said, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And for all these years, you know, I'm 33 now and, and I was a teenager then, that has stuck with me. Just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. How do we please God? Well, some people in the world are going to say, we please God by doing good works, right? But no amount of good works is ever going to be presentable to God. In fact, Isaiah says that our righteousness before God is filthy rags. So then how do we please God? Now, this is how we please God according to the New Testament. We please God by depending on him. In other words, by trusting in him, by putting our faith in his work. And when we are putting our faith in his work, we are actually freed to do his works as well, in us and through us. But it all comes down to living by faith. In fact, Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Uh, Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that anything that does not come from faith is sin. Are you depending on God? Are you trusting in Him? And so the question is this. Who are you depending on? How do I please God over myself? Who are you depending on? Christ or yourself? Well, God, I'm depending on you to stand in my place and to be good enough for me, to be my fullness, to be my sufficiency, or God, aren't you impressed with this? Look what I did. Now I'm depending on me. I'm focused inward. In the Reformation times, you might call these people who are so focused on what they need to do in order to please God, navel gazers, but now they were self-centered. But when the grace of God comes into your life, he says, I've taken care of you. And if you're so taken care of, guess what you're not thinking about anymore? You. Now you're free to take care of others. It's no wonder that the first and greatest commandment is to love God. Well, what's the second? It's to love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. Love God, love others. When God takes care of you and you really accept that you're taken care of, now you're free to love, not to use. And a lot of people will mistake loving people for using people. And my question is this, are you loving people or are you using them? Are you using them to get something that you don't have? Assurance? security? Or are you working from the security of Christ saying that I have done enough for you, you're taken care of, my grace is sufficient for you, now go and love others? How can you tell that you're resting in the grace of God? Well, look at that person, that abstract idea of a person who doesn't know Jesus in your head, and think, why can't I share with that person right now? Or can I share with them freely? If you're free to love others, it's a sign, not a sure sign, but it is a sign that you're resting in the grace of God. But, guarantee you this, if you find an excuse in your heart that keeps you from sharing your faith with someone else, from inviting someone else to church, it's probably because you're too focused on something in your own life. Well, I'm just too bad. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm capable. I, me, mine, that's crucified. God is taking care of you. Go and share. Go and share. Who are you depending on? God has your back. You don't have to have it anymore. Just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Today, I want to remind you of something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. Not easy. Not easy. It's not easy. It's simple, though. And we as people tend to overcomplicate it. But when we overcomplicate the gospel we actually bring in false teaching. The gospel is simple. God has done it all. You guys were just singing a hymn. It says, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. The gospel is simple, but it's not easy. Getting you to sit still and acknowledge that God has done everything, that's hard. Trust me, I know. I have a toddler, okay? She's one and a half years old, and trying to get her down for naps sometimes is super difficult. Have you guys been there? Now, what does she want to do? She wants to squirm, and she wants to play, and she wants to do what she wants to do. But the last thing that she wants to do is sit still and do what she needs to do. Sometimes not working is hard. Sometimes not working and acknowledging that the work is done is hard. 
But that's what we need to do if we really want to trust in the Word of God. The only thing your heart can offer to the Word of God is not more works, but faith. That's it. Trust. The gospel is simple, but the world likes to complicate things. The simplicity of the gospel is this. We are taken care of completely. There's not an ounce of our salvation that God has not taken care of. The complication of the world is this, but you need to do something more to take care of yourself. You see how the world seeps in and false teaching gets in because our default is to do and to be squirmy and to work when God says, be still, let me fight for you. Today we're going to talk about an error Paul addressed at the church of Colossae. They preached that Jesus is not enough. They said, he's good, you need Jesus, but he only gets you so far. There are still things that you need to take care of in your life. In other words, this false gospel that they were preaching was, you need to take care of yourself still. Notice this, the true gospel is always God has taken care of you, but a false gospel can slip in and it'll say you need to take care of yourself. The background of this book is Paul is probably in his first Roman imprisonment when he's writing this book or this letter to Colossae. And he hears about this false teaching in Colossae where people start with Jesus, but they say that that more needs to be added to him. It's Jesus plus something equals everything. You're not really full with Jesus. You actually need to add good works to this, this religion that you've adopted. And Paul rebukes this teaching. He states Jesus is enough and Jesus has authority over all. Paul did not plant this church, but he did have apostolic authority over this church. This church is found in Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. And Epiphras was the leader of the church who probably filled Paul in on the false teaching that was being taught in Colossae. So let's talk about this false teaching very quickly. This false teaching claimed a superior wisdom and gave wisdom and regulations. In other words, these false teachers were offering a type of next-level Christianity. Have you guys met somebody who advocates for a next-level Christianity? Great, you've accepted Christ into your life. That's really nice for you, but have you really become spiritual? If you really want to become spiritual, come up here. I have the secret knowledge for you. Well, this kind of stuff was going on in Colossae. You really want to be spiritual, they might say? Then come up here and do these things. Trust me, they might say. I've had visions. In fact, the passage we're going to be going over today talks about how they would boast about these visions of angels and things of this nature or this worship of angels. Their wisdom, as we'll see in the passage that we're going to go over today, was ascetic. Ascetic just means that they had strict discipline and rules that they would follow as Jesus plus rules. They claimed to have a special knowledge and they pushed for some Jewish practices that Paul says you don't need to practice in order to be a Christian. These practices, as you'll see today in the passage, include circumcision, dietary laws, and festival observations. But Paul comes along and he says true wisdom is Christ, knowing him, having a personal relationship with him, not rules. Henry Blackaby, the guy who wrote Experiencing God, he says... Christianity is not a bunch of rules to obey, it's a person to follow. Knowing Christ is what Christianity is all about. It's not rules-ianity. 
right? It's not, it's not just another religion. It's a relationship with the living God who became man so that in his flesh he would die and unite us to him so that we would have fellowship with the divine nature. He, the fullness of God, takes on humanity so that humanity could take on fullness. So in Christ we find fullness. But these people were saying, nope, you need more. So Paul wanted this letter to circulate to Laodicea as well. As you see, in, uh, it, we're not going to go over it today, but in chapter 2 he says he's also addressing the Laodiceans as well. And this letter then had application uh, apart from, beyond its original context, which was to Colossae. So this heresy or this false teaching had seeped into that area. Let's summarize the error just real quick. So we went over the error, let's just summarize it. The Colossian error is this, Jesus gets you so far, but there are still things you need to take care of. It, it boils down to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Paul's correction, Paul's correction in a nutshell is this, God has said, in Christ you are taken care of, you're brought to fullness. That's his correction, that's the overall spirit of what he's saying, and everything that he's going to say is going to feed back into that idea. The selling points of the era, though, these, these people were convincing. Well, why were they convincing? These Colossians who were espousing this error, why were they convincing? Well, they claimed great visions from heaven. They had spiritual experiences, and then also they looked good. They were following religious customs and laws, so they looked moral. Well, they're having great visions, they look moral, and Paul is saying, do not be deceived by their hollow and deceptive philosophies. Rather, depend on Christ. You guys, just because it looks good, just because it looks nice, doesn't mean it is nice. You guys ever watched the movie Indiana Jones? So the last movie, Indiana Jones, is, is The Last Crusade. And yeah, we're going to talk about Indiana Jones. And one of my favorite things in that movie is how you know, they're, looking, they're looking for the Holy Grail. Okay, yeah, I know it's a movie. Have some fun with it. But they finally get to uh, the place where there's all these different grails. And the bad guy of the movie, he comes up to this bright and shining, you know, uh, immaculate, beautiful, uh, bedazzled, jeweled out cup and says, this has got to be the cup of Christ. And he drinks from it and he dies. And then Indiana Jones, being Indiana Jones, he takes the one that's more historically accurate. It looks more like a carpenter's uh, son's cup and it's made out of pottery. It looks humble. He picks it up and that turns out to be the genuine Holy Grail. Well, I mean, obviously that's not, you know, Orthodox Christianity or anything like that, but it's a cool illustration that oftentimes we are, we are enamored with these beautiful things and they are set in place by Satan to get us off the scent of what's real, what's true. And Christ has given you his gospel and no amount of people that come to you and claim these spiritual experiences that pull you away from this need to be listened to. In the end, they do lead to death as well. So the Colossian error is take care of yourself. But God says, I have done everything to take care of you. Just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. How do you please God? By trusting in him. So Paul, just imagine, I can just imagine Paul saying, so you want to be caught up. 
You want to be caught up into the spiritual state. And this is what they wanted. They wanted the spiritual state of ecstasy where they're more spiritual than they are, already are. And, and Paul's saying, you, you want this so you do more to get it. That's wrong. That's wrong. The gospel is you could never do enough to be caught up into the presence of God. So this is the gospel. Paul might say something like this. Instead of you going up to this amazing spiritual experience, which you can never get in your own works, God comes down. That's the gospel. So let's read what Paul says in Colossians 2, 8, and 9. He says in Colossians 2, 8, and 9, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on who? Christ. Now, I want you to focus in on this next part. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, that means the fullness of God, lives bodily. In other words, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now he says something beautiful. He says, and in Christ, you, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, deity is full and becomes body. And in Christ, your body and you spiritually can be brought to fullness and if you believe in him are full so depend on Christ that's what Paul is saying here when you think you need to do more to be right with God you complicate the gospel when you depend on yourself to get fullness to become more full you stop depending on Christ Even if you think in your mind, I'm depending on Christ 90% and I'm depending on myself 10%, Jesus says you're either for me or against me. There is no 90-10% divide. If you are depending on yourself a little bit, you are depending on Jesus 0%. So if you depend on yourself, you are not depending on Christ. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but rather it's by his mercy that he saves us, according to Titus. In in Ephesians, what does he say? Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Not by what works so that no one can boast. Could you imagine if you had 90% or maybe 10% of your salvation that was was on your shoulders? You could get to heaven one day and you could say, God, but I was pretty good about that 10%, right? What a boast we could have before God. God has taken that away in the gospel. 100% of our worship goes to him because he paid it all. He took care of all of us. When you depend on yourself to get fullness, you stop depending on Christ. Just two options on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. So today I want to exhort you to never lose sight of the fullness of Christ. Never stop depending on Christ's fullness. Let's see how Paul responds to this error at Colossae now. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2.16. If you have your Bibles, let's open up there, Colossians 2.16. And we're going to read to verse 17. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So he's attacking their false teaching head on. He said, These are a shadow, in verse 17, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So to help us remember to depend on Christ and his fullness, 
we must remember that the fullness of Christ is reality. So I'm going to give you three R's today. And the first R is this. The fullness of Christ is reality. Reality. When our relationship with Christ grows cold, we actually tend to go to two different poles. When, when we stop focusing on Jesus and growing in Him and finding our life in Him, we actually tend to focus on two different poles. One of those poles is license. Oh, I could do whatever I want now. Who cares? I don't really care about that. I'm just going to sin and do what I've wanted to do. Well, that's not what the uh, church at Colossae is struggling with. They're on the other end of the spectrum. They struggle with legalism. I'll, not I'll do what I want, but I'm just going to do these rules and hopefully God will love me. Cause I fell into legalism. And let me tell you this. It is hard on legalism's side to accept the grace of God. It seems proud to accept God's forgiveness. It seems like you're not in a humble position if you just say, well, God can forgive me. It seems weird not to have to do more that I just have to sit back and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ through His blood. But what are we saying, really, if we say that I'm too bad for God or I need to do more to be saved or God couldn't forgive me? What am I really saying in this circumstance if I'm struggling with legalism? We're not saying something humble. We're actually saying something very proud. We're saying that Jesus' blood can't get to me. That there's a part in my life that's too bad and too powerful for God's blood and his power to get to. We are not in a humble position. We're actually in an opposing position. We are opposing God's word of forgiveness in our lives. And though we might think we're coming to him in a position of humility, we're actually coming to him in a position of pride, saying, not your word, God, mine. The fullness of Christ and the redemption that that he offers us is reality. And the sooner we wake up to it, the better we are. No amount of posturing or false humility can change this fact that Christ is the only place that we can find fullness. The law, according to to Moses, and in this verse, is a shadow of the things that were to come. And what does a shadow do? There's a shadow on the stage. I know you can't see it. But the shadow isn't the reality. The shadow points to what's real. And this is the purpose of the law. For hundreds of years, the Israelites, they're depending on this law, and they're, they're finding out in their own strength, they can't do it, but they know that the law is perfect and good. Well, what does this show about the Israelites? It shows that they're not perfect, that they need someone else. They need someone else to get them to where they can't be. And so what happens when Jesus comes on the scene? He becomes God in the flesh, He is God in the flesh. He shows people who he is. He dies for our sins. He's raised for our life so that if we would believe in him and be found in him, all those things that for hundreds of years these Jews were trying to do would be theirs freely because they'd be found in the reality of Christ. In other words, that law was always pointing to Christ, not to them. It was always saying that when you're found in him, you will be these things. So, In the shadow, what are you trying to do? You're trying to be clean. But in reality, what's going on? If you're found in Christ, if you believe in him, what's the reality? You are clean. That's the difference. Why? Well, why am I clean? Because Christ has made me clean. 1 John 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and 
purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It does not say that Jesus just covers our sins and sweeps our sins under the rug, but we are purified, we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He brings us to fullness, and if we're found in him and he is full, we are full too. And so here you have some Pharisees or Judaizers or people teaching this law and it's seeping into the church, and they're trying to be clean, and Paul is saying, if you're a believer in Christ, you already are clean. He has made you clean. These were shadows that showed you that you needed Jesus. Now you have Jesus. Don't live in the shadows. The reality, he says, is found in Christ. So to help us depend on Christ's fullness, Paul reminds us that we must remember that the fullness of Christ is reality. We don't get to choose how we get saved. The reality is if you want to be saved, you find yourself in Christ. If you hang out in the shadows, you'll find out that you're a sinner. If you believe in Jesus and find yourself in him, you'll find out that Jesus saves you and brings you to fullness and cleans you from the inside out. The fullness of Christ is reality. And secondly, the fullness of Christ is where we need to, second R, you ready? It's where we need to remain. Did this message draw you closer to God, or did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today? We want to hear about it. Let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and fill out the form at the bottom of the page and tell us what God did in your life through this message. Also, if you would like to bring T.S. Myers out to do ministry with your church or organization, send us a message on our website, turnevangelism.com. Thank you for joining us for this message from Turn Evangelism with T.S. Myers.